We have been dancing around there being a wrecking ball up on the stage. The worship leader came out, the worship team worshiped, the the announcement guy came out, Pastor Jeff, and he made his announcements, and nobody still has pointed to the wrecking ball and said, why are we hiding Hayden behind a wrecking ball? Why can nobody see the electric guitar player? What is the deal? There's a wrecking ball on stage, and it's because I want to talk to you about wrecking balls, and I think the enemy is trying to wreck our children and our lives and our marriages And uh, so I wanted an illustration. So a couple of months ago, I said to MJ, I said, hey, can you make me a wrecking ball? She said, uh, yeah, are you going to tear the church apart? Or I said, no, I'll make it a fake wrecking ball and let's do some things. And she said, okay, I'll tell you when it is. You ever seen a wrecking ball? You ever seen a wrecking ball actually working? We couldn't find the video that I wanted, but it looks something like this, okay? Um, This is what happens. I'm going to make you watch it again. I could just sit here and just watch this thing and watch this thing. I I love the part of a wrecking ball. I don't like the wrecking ball like hitting the building and hitting the building and hitting the building. I like when the wrecking ball hits the building and it falls apart. That's the only part that I'm interested in. But there's something super therapeutic to me in that. How many of you like to watch buildings blow up? You know what I'm talking about? When they implode, they're like, we're going to knock this building down in the middle of you know, downtown, and it's not going to get on anybody else. And so you watch this thing, and you're sitting there, and you're waiting and waiting, and then it goes, and, all you see, and then all of a sudden, it goes, and crumbles in on itself. I love that. Okay, I, nobody's getting hurt. I love that part. But it's absolutely therapeutic for me to just watch this wrecking ball crash the wall, crash the wall, and each time it does a little more damage, and I know pretty soon it's going to fall down. Ah, I feel so good. Until you're the wall. It feels really good until you are the wall. Jesus said the time would come when the enemy would come against us. He was pointing to a number of times, uh, or we can point to a number of times in Jewish history since he said that, that the wrecking ball of the devil himself has crashed against the uh, Israelites. But I think that we're seeing something like that today. I think we're seeing the enemy's wrecking ball coming against our families, coming against our culture, coming against our uh, society, coming against our uh, nation, coming against our family, I mean, our marriages. It is just absolutely crashing the morality, the integrity, the truth, uh, God himself. We're seeing that the enemy's wrecking ball starting to chase after wrecking the church in America. We are coming to the place, and, and it's happening quickly, where you are seeing the church being what's getting attacked in our nation. And I'm telling you, Jesus said it was coming, but you and I are living it. In the book of Luke, still in the book of Luke, let me go to chapter 12. In the book of Luke, the scripture says this. Jesus makes this statement. He says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how, dressed, how distressed I am to think uh, I am until it's completed. Do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family uh, divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided. A father against his son and a son against his father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother-in-law. Against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he begins to say these kind of things. 
And Jesus isn't saying that I've come to wreck life, I've come to destroy the very idea of what God created when he created Adam and Eve and created the first family. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, I'm going to come down here and do a, such a thing, such a work, such a miraculous thing. I'm going to come down here and I'm going to be the thing that brings you back to God. And it's going to be such a big deal that you're going to have family members inside of your family that surrender to Jesus and some that don't. And it is going to create a tension that begins to split them. When they begin to say, we will follow the teachings of Jesus regardless of what it makes us look like or what it costs us. We will follow Jesus to death and other people will say, well, we'll just go to church and other people will say, well, we don't even believe. It's going to split people and they're going to be at each other. And Who are you to decide what morality is? Who are you to decide what sin is? Who are you to decide if I can live this way or if I can live that way? That's what Jesus is talking about. And he's just saying, I'm going to come down there, but the enemy is going to become a wrecking ball and begin to attack families and destroy our children's lives. He goes on to say this in, uh, in John chapter 16. Let me flip over this. He says, I'm saying these things to you. All of these things I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you Okay, And that's what Jesus is trying to let us know. He's trying to say to you, I'm letting you know that this is coming and, and, and that this wrecking ball, and I just, like I said, I just wanted an illustration, that this wrecking ball is swinging into our families. Right now, families in our community, in our church, in our state are being attacked from every side. How many of you know somebody that has lost a family member to drugs? That the drug problem that people keep talking about is real and it is attacking our families. Well, I promise you, God isn't sending this drug addiction problem. It's the enemy that's enticing our children because our children are being attacked by this wrecking ball. Or maybe currently you know somebody who's got adult children or children's children that are suffering through addiction. They're not dead yet, but God is saying, I want to raise those people from the dead and I want the community that is a church to do it. The devil's attacking families the way that ball attacks homes, and it's absolutely uh, devastating. Marriages right now are struggling through a year. Pastor Janice and I did a, a marriage conference over uh, in Wilmore a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things that we kept hearing over and over again is all of these married couples were thrown together. They were quarantined in their homes. They couldn't go to their jobs and things like that, and they didn't know how to live with each other 24-7. And people began to attack each other from inside their own marriages. And marriages are falling apart. They really are. And it's like, it's like wow, what is going on? Traditionally, um, somewhere between four and eight years when you get married, at year four, five, six, seven, and eight, somewhere in there, you're going to hit a wall. And you can work through it. That's not a problem. You can work through it. But you have to work through it. You need to get help. You can't do it on your own. But we're seeing marriages that have been together 10, 15, 18 years crumbling because that wrecking ball is hitting them. 
Our children on a daily basis face things we never faced when we were their age. Let me ask you this. What was the hardest thing that you faced in high school? The hardest thing that you faced in high school. For me, it wasn't pot. It wasn't drinking. For me, it was like, how am I going to get to school without riding the bus? Because I didn't want to ride the bus. I wanted to drive, and my family didn't give me a car. Thankfully, I had a friend that happened to have a car, and so we rode to school. But not our children. Our children go to school every single day facing sexual preferences, sexual activities, sexual identity, abortion, drugs, alcohol, and fitting in through participation. That's what your kids face going to elementary school, middle school, and high school, day in and day out. And I'll tell you right now, our entertainment choices are normalizing sin to a ridiculous degree. It really is. It's like, oh, they're living together. Oh, they've decided they're a different gender. Oh, they're doing this. And what bothers me most is people that call themselves Christians are, are, are seeing other Christians living together and celebrating and say, we're so happy for you. And, and I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I'm confused because this is what I'm thinking. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, it says that no sexually immoral per person is going to hell. I don't care if you said you love Jesus or not. If we're living in sexual immorality, and from Genesis to Revelation, sexual immorality is a big, big, big deal with God. But Revelation 19 says you're not going. And so in my head, I'm watching people on social media that I know that go to church celebrating other people that are living together. And I'm wondering, are you, are, are you trying to get the message across that you're happy they're going to hell? Or are you trying to feed yourself and make them like you? Are you what you're presenting instead of Jesus? And listen, I, those of you that know me know this. I am totally 100% against throwing rocks at people struggling with sin. I'm against it. But I'll never be the pastor that normalizes sin and says it's okay. My own sin is not okay. The scripture tells us to go and sin no more. The scripture does not tell us all sin is the same. I need, can you grab a hold of that? All sin is not the same. You say, what? I, I can see right now I've got some of your attention. You're like, hold on a second. <laughs> the scripture is very clear that all sin is not the same. All you have to do is read the book of Leviticus. If this person tells a lie, they have to do this. If this person um, kills your sheep, they have to do this. If this person kills another person, God, all sin in the book of Leviticus has different um, punishments attached to it. Different punishments. If you're telling me all sin has the same end, I agree with you 100%. Lying has the same end result as cheating. Cheating has the same end result as murder. Right? Because sin leads us to hell. But here's the deal. God expects us to stop saying, all sin's the same so I can keep sinning. And start saying, all sin's the same so come away from even that. 
we got to start looking at it in a different manner because the enemy is coming, across, uh, coming after us and trying to attack us, and it's going to happen with our children, I believe, not us. You want to destroy a nation? Start in school. Start with those kids. Start changing their minds. Start changing their understanding. Start attacking their understanding of morality and right and wrong. And our entertainment choices are doing that, absolutely. The enemy is after your children, not so much you. Think about this for a second. Let me take you back to this. What was your happiest memory from your childhood? Happiest memory. I know for me, it was getting out of the house first thing in the morning. Man, first thing in the morning, I was out the door. I was heading across the meadow looking for snakes. I was going to be outside all day. I remember as a child that I could leave the house at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I had to show up at 6 o'clock at night when the streetlights came on in the fall, and I had better be there when that streetlight came on. Or I had better be in earshot of, hey, Jody! That's what they called me when growing up. Hey, Jody! I better be able to hear that. And I could pick my parents' voice out. I knew. And I would race home and I would be there. But I could leave and they could not know where I was for eight or ten hours. I could be in the woods. You can't do that now. Man, if my grandchild walks out the front door, I am racing out behind them saying, if you're going to the mailbox, I'm coming with you. What happened to our world? The enemy has stepped up his game. The enemy has stepped up his game, and that wrecking ball is not hidden anymore. The enemy is not trying to be sly. He's not trying to do it behind closed doors. He's doing it in front of your face. He is straight up coming after our children so that the concept of childhood is being absolutely destroyed. When we think about childhood, what do you think that means? That's right. What he said, she said. Childhood is simply the state of being a child. But we've got this idea that it must be this period of time when you're not supposed to have any responsibilities, you're not supposed to do anything, you're just supposed to come home from school and be a child. Oh, let them be a child. Oh, let them have their childhood. Oh, they were robbed of their childhood. Nobody that has lived into their 20s has ever been robbed of their childhood. They had a childhood. It was a different childhood. It was a difficult childhood. But a childhood means that you lived between these years and these years. But we live in a world that says childhood is when you're not supposed to have to do anything. You don't have responsibility. You play on your Xbox all the time that you want to. And, and, and then just life is just good. It's super. But then pretty soon we take our children and we say, okay, now you're an adult. Grow up. And I wonder sometimes if you and I, because of the, our, our culture, our culture, because we're letting it seep in if we're not wrecking our own children. I honestly do. And I was thinking about this for the last couple of weeks, and I think, are we wrecking our own children's lives? Are we the ones that are doing it? Just walk with me for just a couple of minutes. Are we wrecking our children's lives by not giving them a role in our families? See, our children are joining the family. The family is not joining our children. And you've heard me say this, and, and again, over and over and over again, but, but how many of you have a cell phone, and you've ever had to take that cell phone and give it to an eight-year-old and say, hey, can you fix this? 
right? You take that cell phone and you say, I don't know how I got here, but get me out. Or, or um, the letters all of a sudden are so big that you know one word sets on the screen and you give it to your child and say, mommy or daddy, we, I broke it somehow, can you fix it? And your eight-year-old will take it and go and hand it back to you and you'll say, how did you do that? And they'll look at you like, it would take me so long to tell you. So I just fixed it for you. To them I say, and I know I've said it before, we taught you to use a spoon. And there's nothing complicated about that. So don't look at me like I should be able to run this cell phone. Okay? But what about that? How about the, the, we could give our, our children uh, an $800 iPad and, and they could do absolutely anything with it. An eight-year-old can. You give them a $2,500 computer and they'll hack the national government accidentally. When a Secret Service shows up at your door and they're like, well, your kid's been going all over you, you're like, I didn't know. Okay, because children, they know how to do stuff. But sometimes we just, they need to have a childhood so we don't give them roles in the family. Roles, I mean, actual jobs that are theirs to do. Now, this is your responsibility and you need to do it. But they can run a $1,200 phone or an $800 iPad or a $2,500 computer. But they can't fold the laundry? Are you serious? They can't put the whites over here and the colors over there and then put it in the, the, the washing machine and put a, a pot, Tide Pod in there without eating it and close it and push the button? I know that was kind of a, you know, a hack at that generation, but it had to come. It, it had to come. Okay, seriously. They can have a role in their family. Do you think they're too young to run the dishwasher? Do you think they're too young to run the, the vacuum cleaner on the floor correctly? A hundred years ago, children were expected. As they grew, they were just, they, you don't, they did, nobody even thought about it and said, when he turns five, we're going to have to let him do this. They just began to take them with them and let them be a part of the responsibilities of the family. And as they were part of the responsibilities of the family, they learned how to do it. When they learned how to do it, their parents let them do it. They just did. The more we remove responsibility from the lives of our children, the more they become entitled, privileged, and self-absorbed. They are reflecting what we're doing to them. And we're doing it out of love and, and we're well-meaning. But I just want us to back up and say, are we wrecking our children's lives by not giving them roles in the family. Teach them early, early that they are a cog in something bigger and that their role is important. Therefore, they need to do it. They need to accomplish it. Last week, we looked at a passage in Psalm 127. It reads, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. A warrior has a job. And he needs tools to do it. And those tools are arrows. And this scripture would suggest that our children, the children in our lives, play a big role in us as a family growing and being healthy 
It's, it's rich children in history as I, as I did some reading and was getting ready for this message. It's the rich element in European history that, that there's, there's a time in there where privileged children, princes and princesses, lived a life where everybody catered to them. They're, they got a pony, they got a bicycle, they got whatever they want, they get. And I think that for some reason we've grown as a culture through the last couple of centuries into a place where we want our children to have the best and even to have what we didn't have. So we're catering to them. And we want them to have this childhood. And that's not really what childhood means. Childhood means they're between this age and this age. And I believe that they need a role so that they can be healthy and they can continue to mature in a healthy fa- uh, manner. I think we reject, uh, excuse me, I think we wreck our own children's lives by saving them from the consequences of their decisions. Think about that for a, sec- for a second. Are we wrecking our children's lives by saving them from the consequences of their own decisions? Listen, I'm all for somebody making a decision. I just think that you should have to experience the consequences of the decision. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm not saying, I want you to suffer. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is sometimes you give a child a hammer and as they start beating on it, you say, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. Stop saying, stop doing that. Let them whack their thumb one time and suffer the consequences of not paying attention with a hammer and they will stop hammering their thumb. They just will. It hurts. How many of you got your little loved one, your little love bundle, your little bunny, your little whatever you call that child that's trying to eat your marriage, and when it turned one year old, you sat in a high chair, put a cupcake in front of it, put a candle on it, and lit that thing on fire. And then you sat back. What kind of psychopath do you have to be to put fire in front of your children and wait for them to put their finger in it? Come on. Well, but Pastor Joe, that, well, uh, you did it to yours five times. One for each. But what kind of sick people light something on fire and put it in front of their kid and they're just waiting? Watch, she's going to do this. Not only that, but they get out the $300 8mm camera. And we're taking video of this thing so that we can show it to them before they get married and go, you were so dumb back in. You just put your finger right in the fire. You know, we all put our finger in the fire. But we let them suffer the consequences because what? From that moment on, (laughs) they knew not to put their finger in the fire, didn't they? And we were there to take care of that finger and make sure they didn't get hurt bad. I think there's a time in their lives where sometimes they need to make decisions and we have to let them suffer the consequences of their decision. We've got to stop being the safety net. I'll never stop being a parent. I never will. I I will always be a parent. I will always be there for my children, but I won't be there immediately. Sometimes I will be there to help them process what they have to do to get out of this particular situation. Check this out. 
When Janice and I were raising children, organically, this is just how we raised them. First of all, we made decisions for them, right? We're headed to church. we got to go to church. they got to put their clothes on. They're two years old. They're three years old. They want to wear their little unicorn bunny. They want to wear their little bear hat. They want. It's like, no, you're putting these socks on, these shoes on, this dress on, and, and this little sweater on. That's what you're going to wear to church. And we went to church, five of them in a row. We dressed. They didn't all wear dresses. The three of them did not wear dresses ever. Okay, but I'm just saying they did not come to us and argue that they were going to wear what we said they were going to wear we made decisions for them this is the first step in teaching children to make good decisions you make decisions for them the next thing that happens is you let them help you make the decision now you're at the place of saying do you want to wear this or do you want to wear this not what do you want to wear do you want to wear this? Do you want to wear this? I'll let you go one more. Or do you want to wear this? Give them three choices if you want. And then they get to choose. And you help them, and in the process of it, you help them make a good decision. This is a good decision. You say, you know, lime green doesn't go with, you know, periwinkle blue or whatever. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I, that actually would work. But, um, you, you know, you start saying this doesn't go with that. And you start helping them make decisions. So you make the decision. The next step is you let them help you make the decision. The third step is you watch them make the decision. And then you Feed into it a little bit. Hey, that think, think about this. Hey, well, before, before you actually put that on, think about this. Before you actually do that, think about this. You give them some advice. And then, and this is the one that parents screw up the most. They get to the place where they're going to make the decision. They're 18, they're 20, they're throwing that in your face. You need to step back and let them make the decision. You might say, Hi, um, I have a thought. But at that age, they have the right to say, I'll take it from here, thank you very much. But when they do, you have to let them struggle with the consequences of the decision that they made. And yes, as a parent, you will look at it and, and it will break your heart. Sometimes, sometimes. But if they're not allowed to enjoy the consequences, they won't learn. And that is a learning point that is incredibly important sometimes we wreck our children's lives by not allowing them to wrestle with the consequences of their choices let me let me do this and give you another point and then we're going to close it up in your struggle paul says in the book of hebrews chapter 12 in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood you have and have you and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everybody he accepts as son. That's encouragement, Paul says. When the Lord reaches down and smacks your bottom, that's supposed to be encouragement. When he disciplines you and says, Then I'm going to put you in timeout, that is supposed to be encouragement. 
Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This simply says when we let our children suffer the consequences of decisions they made, sooner or later they will look back and be thankful that they experienced that and now can make healthy decisions. When we are disciplined by consequences, we tend to learn quickly. And that's important. Last thing I want to share with you is this. By failing to expect them to grow up, we are wrecking their lives. Not long ago, uh, my wife was sharing an article with me, a couple years probably, and she said, look at the title of this article, Boys Who Shave. Boys Who Shave. What it's referring to was men who age but don't mature. And this is what's coming into the world, and I'm not here to just pick on men, but this is what's coming into the world for women to choose a husband from. In maturity, they're still way younger than them, but they're old enough to shave. We have got to let our children grow up. More than that, we have to expect them to grow up. Paul said to the church in Corinth, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Sooner or later, it is time for us to stop playing games and goofing off and, and expecting everybody else to take uh, care of everything and understand that we have to have the responsibility of paying our way or providing for ourselves. And that's incredibly important. Even the scripture in, uh, 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 attests to the idea that we've got to take the next step, not just men, all of us as human beings, to maturity. Children need the opportunity to pay their own way. Does an eight-year-old need a cell phone? I will be the first to tell you absolutely not. They can go to a teacher and get a phone. They can go to a, 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 a friend and get a phone. They can go to, they can do that. Does a grad student need to start life where their parent, where they left off with their parents? Do you understand what I'm saying? Parents have worked for 40 years, put their child through college, but they've worked for 40 years to get to a house with one acre of land and all of this. And I'm watching grad students, I mean, I'm in grad students, I'm watching students graduate from college thinking that they've got to start where they left off with their parents. They left off with their parents with a, you know, 3,000 square foot home with four bedrooms and three and a half baths. And they're thinking, we need to graduate college and we need to buy a, a 3,000 square foot house on an acre of land in Madison County. It's like, no, you need to go get an apartment. That's what you need. You need a trailer house. That's a great, I love the house, the trailer that Janice and I started in. I told her the other day, I said, I would end there on purpose. I would. 
But you don't need to start at the beginning. I mean, at the end, you need to start at the beginning. You need to see that sometimes it takes a little struggle to get to where you were when you headed off to college. And we've got to let um, our children grow up. How many of you remember the Sears catalog? You remember seeing the Sears catalog? And I grew up with a Sears catalog. For those of you who don't know, it was a book about that thick. It was about that square. And God bless the postman that had to deliver those suckers. Most postmen back there were back then were buff. Man, they carry about 10 or 15 of them in that bag that they carried around, and they're going from mailbox to mailbox doing that, dropping off a 10-pound book. And when it came in October, November, man, we were going through it going, I hope I get one of these. We weren't going to get anything out of that book. My, my family had five kids, and they were poor, and they were living on an airman's salary. And it's like, we're going through it. I cannot imagine children today going, but I need a new computer for Christmas. It's like a $3,000 computer? Not happening. No. Same thing I felt about with cars. Our, our, our children were like, hey, I'm going to be 16. I'm going to need a car. It's like, we got a family car. If you're not too embarrassed to drive it, you can drive it. I can't go to school in that. Okay. It's a long walk, but okay. If you really want to drive yourself, you'll drive that. Man, my kids went to school in a 1994 seafoam green Ford Taurus, four doors. I'm sure they pulled into the parking lot ducking down real low. I didn't care. I just needed to know they had a safe vehicle that worked well that they could get to Madison Central in. And you know what? That did it for them. And when they got a job, they saved their money, and it's okay. Listen, a minimum wage job for your children teaches them life lessons. If you think they learn lessons being on a football team, baseball team, soccer team, and, and, and in the band, and, and my children were in some of those things, they learn even more from working a job when they're 16, 17, 18 years old. They, they learn to work with people, and sometimes with people that they don't get along with. Guess what? Every single job out there has somebody that you're not going to get along with or that you'll just stay away from, but it'll teach you to interact with them in a healthy, mature way. It teaches them a good work ethic. It teaches them that everybody has a boss. Everybody has a boss. And sometimes they're good bosses and sometimes they're not. And you don't just throw up your hands and say, well, I didn't like this job. No, you got to stay at it until you find another one. It teaches them to have a work ethic that, that causes them to get raises. It teaches them not to do the things everybody else is doing if they want to rise to the top. It teaches them to show up on time. In my world, on time is 15 minutes late. 15 minutes early is on time. That's what we tried to teach them, our children, as they were growing up. Having a job teaches them to be people of their word. You know, that's kind of lost anymore. Are you a man, no gender intended, of your word? Does your word mean anything anymore? From that point on, when they started earning money, we began to teach them things like you earn it, you tithe on it, you save it, you spend it. Uh-oh. But then you get the adult joy of being taxed on it. I love when children get a job and they come home and they see how much taxes get taken out. It's like that's you working for your government right there. I don't want to work for the government. Well, none of us do. But they get to learn that stuff. We have got to allow our children to grow up. 
We've got to stop just being the provision for them day in and day out. We told our children that they could have, uh, we would pay for their automobile insurance until they had their first accident. At that point, you better have a good enough job to pay for your own insurance because it's going up and I'm not paying it. We told them that we would pay for their, their uh, phones until they got all the way through college. Imagine their surprise when they graduated or stepped out of college and we said, hey, <laughs> we're not paying for that anymore. And they were like, what? We're not. You're a grown-up now, and this is what grown-ups do. And if you don't have enough money coming in your income, and that's okay to afford a cell phone, you don't get one. That's how it works. Mom and dad aren't supposed to provide it for you. You don't get one. See, you're supposed to provide your income. I'm glad when I can help them out. Don't get me wrong, I'm still their dad. I'm tickled to death when I get to be a part of it. But if I don't let them struggle, if I don't let them enjoy the joy of accomplishment as well as the struggle of a bad choice, I'm being a bad parent. I need to let them experience that if I'm going to stop what the enemy is trying to do to them. It's time to be, for us to be super intentional with our children. Real quick, show them their part. What's their part of the family? Teach them to learn. Teach them to question the government, the church, what they believe about Scripture. Teach them to get into the Word and question the Word. But teach them to think for themselves. Let them experience the consequences of a choice and buy them experiences instead of things. Think about that. Buy them experiences instead of things. Take them on a trip. Let them experience something because experience is the great teacher. And then finally, expect them to grow up through their actions. Expect them to begin to provide for themselves, even if it's just simple things like clothes. I remember when I started working and my parents said, hey, well, how about you contribute to the, the budget around this household? You eat and you use. And I was like, how come I got to do that? <laughs> well, because I was using the electricity and the water and the food. and the, That's why. And they invited me to mature. The world that we live in is a wrecking ball. And we can't always, always stop the world. So we've got to prepare our children. And I love what Franklin Delano Roosevelt said when he said, we cannot always build the future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future. You want to change the world? Start at home. Start with your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbor's kids. Start by encouraging and inspiring them. I had a conversation with my granddaughter that was with me this weekend. They got to stay overnight and we were talking and I was talking about raising dogs and training dogs and I talked about that dog respecting you and then just that quick I shifted it over into and you need to grow up to be somebody that people respect and you need to expect respect from people and when people don't respect you, you need to distance yourself from them or you need to deal with it but never sit down. See, I'm always looking for a moment to teach. We have to intentionally teach our children because that wrecking ball will kill them. And we don't want that to happen. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you right now, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives as a congregation. 
We thank you for an awareness that the enemy's coming after us. We thank you that you warned us about that. You said, I'm telling you these things now so that when you see it, you can remember I warned you. God, we live in times where, where they're attacking the church. It's not even sacred anymore. The enemy is rising up. As we come before you, God, he is a roaring lion. and We need to protect our children. We need to protect our families. Just ask and pray that you would open our eyes to the things that we can begin to do now, that we can raise warriors, worship leaders, preachers, people that will stand up to the darkness, light bearers. Help us, God, to raise righteous children that will push back in a setting in a respectful manner. God, we thank you and praise you for the hope and the help that you give to us. We just ask that you would be with us here now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come before you right now, I just want to invite you. We're going to come to our feet for this closing song. But if you're facing something, I know somebody in the first service was facing a surgery. But if you're facing something, going through something, something is looming in your presence. Or maybe you know somebody or have children that are struggling. Can we pray with you for those children? Can we pray with you for their future? Can we pray with you for their neighbor's kids? Can we pray for your family? That's what we gather together to do. Because I believe that God for every one of us wants to come over and touch our dream, our hope, our family, our marriages, our children, and raise them back to life. I believe that's what God was saying.